Wednesday. Lots going on Wednesday. So Wednesday is Valentine's Day. And Wednesday is... (laughs) Did someone say hump day? (laughs) It's the start of Lent. Not something that means a lot to this congregation, I understand. But some of you were raised in um, other Christian traditions. It may have picked those 40 days before Easter, 40 in kind of a Christian reckoning. They don't count Sundays, so it's not exactly 40 days before Easter. Actually, before the crucifixion. But both Valentine's Day and Lent are rooted in the Christian calendar. And anyone who tells you that any religious tradition is pure, um, both Lent and Valentine's Day have pretty interesting, convoluted histories. So I was raised at St. John's Episcopal down at 41st and Lewis, and and sort of, kind of, in that grade school way, honored Lent, you know, always aspired to give something up and made it maybe three or four days. <laughs> and I appreciate, because often it's about giving up chocolate. <sighs> what a falsehood. I'm here to say to you people, giving up chocolate is a falsehood of virtue. Right now. Hence our chocolate auction. Buy some. (laughs) But I have come to appreciate Lent now that I am Unitarian Universalist, probably don't identify as Christian, but think the ritual of going, okay, for the next block of time, I'm going to tweak my life and try something different. And the minute someone said to me, well, what if Lent is not about giving something up, which I know enough from brain science that the, the inner committee, the minute you say don't to it, it says, oh, yeah? <laughs> which is why giving up things and New Year's resolutions never work, because we immediately have set ourselves up for failure when we do that. Oh, Yeah. Give up drinking, give up chocolate, give up checking your phone. When someone framed it as taking on something, that's actually as revolutionary in your life. Take on something. So as an adult, I actually, um, each Lent, take on something. Take on calling a friend once a day, someone you haven't heard from, that kind of taking on that that will completely change things. Lent is about preparation. It's about preparing for the end or change. We talked about the ultimate change being facing our own mortality. There will be a time each one of us will no longer be on this earth. And the more we think about that and 
take that into our daily living, the kinder we are, the more loving we are, the more prepared we are for all change. So Lent is actually this deeply rich period of time that you can broaden your perspective. So there's Lent, there's that, and then there's Valentine's Day. Christian? Well, now we've made it about romantic love, but oh man, does it have a wacky beginning, and uh, it's a Roman festival, Lupercus, I've talked about this before, and the more I read about it, I'd like to find everything I read sounds um, illegitimate in the sense of, really? They did that? It involved killing of animals, using the hides to, oh, in this day and age of Me Too, to whip women. It involved a lot of drinking, sexuality, but the whipping part had to do with thinking that that made a woman more fertile. So women stepped themselves forward for this. Anyway, that's the roots of (laughs) Valentine's Day. (laughs) And as we talk about justice and power, it was, um, I think it was Claudius II, emperor of Rome, who was trying to bring Christianity in line with what the people were already doing, which was getting naked and drinking and whipping each other. And um, he said, well, let's make that ceremony to be an honor of, there were two men named Valentinus, who happened to have both been martyred on February 14th. So if any of this is making sense, imagine what it's like for me trying to make sense of it for you. I, I don't fully understand it other than we are such amazing human beings and we take the weirdest history and go, okay, then let's ultimately make that about romantic love and let's make it about chocolate <laughs> and flowers and telling each other that we love you that you love someone, that you are loved. But they're both rooted in Christianity. See, I've got myself so off track, it's so... (laughs) Ah, what they both ultimately come down, which, which is what we often do with, you know, Christmas is this wacky mashup of things but we ultimately bring them down to matters of the heart. So Lent is about matters of the heart. Valentine's Day, it's about matters of the heart, about what matters most, that other human beings, that we can't exist alone, that we never exist alone. The minute we're born, we're helpless and expect others to take care of us. And as we age, we're going to need being taken care of as well. So we're always trying to disrupt this cultural news that somehow you can be independent and solitary hogwash. And as you heard in the two readings, it really is our universalist strain of ideas that we don't often talk about that says each one of us 
is lovable. And that sounds easy, but I don't know about you. Oh, I do know about you, actually. That when you make mistakes, when I make mistakes, I'll speak in the I. Often my first thought is I'm not lovable. And there is some notion of perfection or um, that's not true. So we have to be reminded over and over and over again that we are lovable, and I'll use this religious term that's also commerce, that we're redeemable, that we can be saved, saved in the sense that change is possible. Even the hardest heart can change. And so that notion is not some icky romantic notion, but is the foundation of all justice. I sat in on this uh, absolutely wonderful small group, and we're part of that is we're uh, committed to a vow of not saying what was said there, so I won't tell you who said it, but in general, <laughs> the whole conversation was about that justice begins with an understanding of each individual and everyone from the clerk you run into a store to your partner if you're lucky enough to have one to the stranger you meet on the street to the person who is panhandling that they're all lovable and that they are you that we we make these false separations that don't exist and get ourselves into trouble by these false divisions Yes, I can see you're different and you're sitting there, but really, I am you, and you are me. And it's when we forget that that justice, injustice, arises. So it is our universalist strain. They're clever and took that anti-Calvinist notion that there is no hell, I'd say there is hell, and we make it for ourselves here on earth. It's not some afterlife. It's when we suffer and, and call ourselves unlovable. But they say the job that we have as human beings is to love the hell out of this world. By that, they mean... Yes, there's no afterlife hell. No one is, why on earth would someone? It's that, oh my, I've been a parent of a teenager and I so want them to learn a lesson and would condemn them to hell so they'd learn it. And then I realized, wait a minute. No proper way of the world works that way. We have to forgive our mistakes and we have to forgive the mistakes of others and I'm not being naive. I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences. So to love the hell out of the world is another way of saying to do justice. Let's figure out how to get this particular hell where people are suffering. Our church who is deeply involved in homelessness, let's figure out how to fix that particular hell. Let's figure out how to help the hell of not enough food. Let's help the hell of not properly educating our children in this state. That 
is health. When we don't surround children with what they need to become their most full self, that is health. And we're making it. So how can we love the hell out of the world? So this summer, I think I've told you, I'm, I'm reading a little book, but it's taking me a long time because I'm reading it paragraph by paragraph each morning. And it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. So you're hearing a lot about Thich Nhat Hanh this year. And um, I stumbled into this section, which was not about love. It was about how to have loving conversations. And he has six mantras of love. So how do we love the hell out of the world? We love the hell out of the world by noticing when we are not loving in our communications. And our communications isn't just our words. It's where we put ourselves. It's how we place ourselves, where we are or where we're not. So he talks about love always being a process of discovery, which has been my experience. I'm repulsed by something, and the more I get to know it, the more I understand where that disgust may come from or what, oh, that makes sense to the other person. So get out your pencils and pens, because this is a list. I keep this on my phone, and I look at it. He has six mantras of loving communication. And in the book I'm reading, he just lists them and talks a little bit about them. But I've Googled them, and I found other writings and other people who've taken them, And when he committed them in another book, he added the word darling. So I'm going to give them, I'm going to transmit these six mantras to you with the word darling. And I want you to take that word darling to heart. Because I've been thinking about, so what the heck is my job as your minister? And what is your job as my congregation? And sometimes I think, I make it too complicated, and it is simply to love each one of you and to call you darling in my mind. And I think that's what you should do for each other, darling. So here's number one. Darling, I am here for you. Darling, I am here for you. So this isn't about my being here for you, except it is. But it's also about everything we do as a congregation. When someone is in need, oh, we're good at whipping up casseroles and sending cards and stuff. But in reality, just being there is enough. And we often don't think being there is enough. I was raised in a family that believed in presents. So for the longest time, I always thought, I need to bring presents. I have to bring hostess gifts. I have to give big presents. And I'm learning more and more that less is more 
and that I am enough. So darling, I'm here for you. Two, I love how these flip. So the flip side of that is darling, I know you are there and I'm very happy. I know you are there and I'm very happy. I know you are there. So your being, your being is enough and I'm very happy. If my being there for you is enough, then your being there for me is enough. Show up. Three. Three. Darling, I feel your pain and I'm here for you. I feel your pain and I am here for you. I don't know if I need to say any more. Although it's scene number one, I'm here for you. Flip side is darling, I suffer. Please help. I suffer. Please help. Five. This is the easiest and the hardest. Darling, this is a happy moment. This is a happy moment. I'm alive, I'm standing, I'm speaking, my brain is working, my blood is flowing, you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. We are alive. We may be in pain, we may be struggling, this moment may be as icky as it comes, but religious teachings tell us that when we look for happiness outside, you, I need you in order to be happy, that that is the heart of suffering. So to recognize that this moment, nothing has to change. There are people not here. I'm sorry they're not here, but I'm still happy. Darling, this is a happy moment. And then the last one, I've preached on this before and said it in different ways, and this is a great one, one that we should never forget. Darling, you're partly right. <laughs> Darling, you're partly right. Because, of course, the flip side of that is, dang it, I'm only partly right, too. It's that same thing of humility. It's at the core of humility. It's the, it actually is a, an essence of our Unitarian Universalist theology that we can never know everything. And the minute you think you know everything, let me tell you, darling, you are partly right. And he's so smart, you know, he doesn't say it in that negative, which is how I would say it. You're partly wrong. <laughs> you are partly right. So... 
Um, I'll tell you how I use these. You won't believe this, but I have social anxiety. And crowds make me uncomfortable, and I have parties that I have to go to, and I have to figure out, or meetings. Oh, I love meeting with you all, but I go to meetings. And I actually pull this out, and it helps my social anxiety go away, because I'm here for you. I know you're suffering. I'm suffering. It, it, it makes, it has made me able to step into Indy's situation and, and be enough. And boy, I'm off the hook because I'm only partly right. Woo! So I would maintain that these are useful for any and every situation. Try them on your spouse partner, romantic wish, best friend, the clerk in the store. And they are about writing injustices. Because all the news we hear, we can go, darling, you're partly right, which sometimes catches in my throat when I hear things that I know they are totally wrong. Wait. Maybe, darling, you're partly right. So uh, it's at the core of our justice work, which love is, which we talked about last week, which is about paying attention to your heart and when it's broken and broken open. So I encourage you to write these down. Carry them with you. And consider a Lenten practice of referring to these for 40 days. Just 40 days. Easter is ha, 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 April 1st. (laughs) Try paying attention to these. Look at them. Put them on your bathroom mirror until April 1st, and then you can take it down, and you can be all right if you want to be. May it be so.